0: Hello, this is Bill Curley.
1: And Holly Hudley.
0: And welcome to the podcast, In Between, which is an educational offering of
1: St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Okay. So just for the record, Bill and I are coming in completely spontaneous. We have not talked beforehand. We don't yet know what we're going to say today, so please don't hold us accountable for anything <laughs> that we do or do not say.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, You just said that you had read something magnificent last night.
1: I did. So, you know, this little treasure book that we have both bought because Amazon told us we should. I'm so glad in this case that I listened to Amazon. You know, I'm so, I don't know if the right word is fascinated or um, attentive to the time in the cave, right? Like the yeah. cave is is a huge metaphor and, and so much of it is fueled by, I mean, I love Plato's allegory of the cave, I love, Uh, this book that I'm reading by Catherine Keller called Face of the Deep, which is about the quote unquote nothingness that creates everything. And in that nothingness is a vast liveliness. And um, this little meditation in the Eckhart book of secrets is called yes. Darkness. Have you read this one? No. Okay. Yes. Darkness one. Everything glorifies God in its own way. Yes, darkness too. The one out there and the one that hides within me and my difficulties and tribulations too. And what after all would God be without it? For it is where God wants to be so that light can have its way with me and my darkness.
0: (laughs) It's a wonderful book. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was talking with a friend yesterday and we, you know, um, she's going through some things and we were talking about this notion of kind of um, where is God in the darkness and the, there's no way that there's a God out there that says I'm going to give a little child cancer. Right. right. <laughs> um, but we were talking about the kind of both andness that, life is the light and the dark and all the spaces in between. Um, and then I read that meditation. it was just perfect.
0: <laughs> you know, I did a, um, an active imagination uh, and I gave um, Jim Finley credit for it about... Um, having having a making a journey with jesus and Mm -hmm. we get to a place where um we're outside of a cave and we're sitting and jesus is saying um i've accompanied you this far Mm -hmm. but the rest of the way you have to go in the cave by yourself
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and so we sit there for a few hundred years reluctant to get up and go and finally when we decide to go and we're just about to the mouth of the cave Jesus says oh by the way take off your clothes you can't take anything with you so um I will share with you that I just Mm. discovered this morning a book by Steven Patterson that I did not know existed. Steven Patterson is the man who introduced me to the gospel of Thomas.
1: Oh,
0: as a speaker, or as a writer, as a writer. Well, Uh I knew Steven Patterson through the Jesus seminar. He's a member of the Jesus seminar. Okay. And so, um, I found out that he had written some books about the Gospel of Thomas, got them and read them, Um, had lunch with Steve Patterson, told him about my interest in it, Uh, gosh, this is 20 years ago, Holly. Wow. And um, he gave me some suggestions about things to do and whatever. Anyway, I just discovered that Steven Patterson has a book that I'm going to buy as soon as we get off of this (laughs) called The Forgotten Creed christianity's original struggle against bigotry slavery and sexism wow long and i want to read you the blurb okay
1: yes please that sounds like a book i need to get
0: (laughs) long before the followers of jesus declared him to be the son of god jesus taught his followers that they too were the children of god this ancient creed now all but forgotten is recorded still within the folds of a letter of paul the apostle Paul did not create this creed, but he did fully embrace it, but he quoted it, nor did he fully embrace it, but he quoted it and thus preserved it for a time when it might become important once again. The ancient creed said nothing about God or Christ or salvation. Its claims were about the whole human race. There is no race. There is no class. There is no gender. This is the story of that first forgotten creed and the world of its begetting. A world in which foreigners are feared, slaves were human chattel, and men questioned whether women were really human after all. Into this world, the followers of Jesus proclaim, you are all the children of God. There is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male and female. You are all one. Where did this remarkable statement of human solidarity come from, and what finally happened to it? How did Christianity become a Gentile religion that despised Jews, condoned slavery as the will of God, and championed patriarchy? Mm -hmm. And then it goes on. I'm buying that book today.
1: Wow. It sounds like one I need to get.
0: (laughs) And then I will tell you later, Mm -hmm. um, after I get started on it, whether you should get it. Okay. I'm reading about... Five or six books at once, you know?
1: Yeah, I totally get that. I feel like that I have, you should see my book. I mean, there are books everywhere in our house. I think that we truly have a problem with buying books.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> and, well, that's better um, than alcohol. That's
1: what Josh said. I said last night as we were going to bed and I looked at the stack of books by my bed, about half poetry, sometimes, you know, I'll just pull one of them from the stack and read something before I go to bed. And, you know, half novels I haven't gotten to, I get just, I'm gonna have three halves and then half um, books that I'm reading for um, our teaching purposes, as well as for dissertation purposes. And I just said, we have a book problem. And Josh was like, it's a pretty good problem to have. Although I just, there's just not enough time to read it all.
0: Is Josh a big reader?
1: Oh gosh, yeah, I, you know, I kind of, also jokingly say that the reason I'm doing a PhD is to keep up with Josh he reads I think next to you maybe more than anyone I know
0: mm-hmm. he
1: um, he's just always reading something whether it's the news whether it's periodicals um, he prefers non-fiction but he loves a good detective novel mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah it's he's a really and he's he I, I appreciate that Josh enjoys reading sort of um, so he's reading a book about, um, I think the title is How to Raise Humans in a Digital World. Mm. And that's definitely a struggle we're coming up against is our kids are digital natives. Mm -hmm. And what I like about what Josh reads is that he reads books like that and then he can report back to me and then I really don't have to read the book, but Mm -hmm. we can have the shared information. So I feel like between us, we have a really great collective brain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll look forward to hearing your book report on uh that Patterson book and whether or not I should include it in my repertoire of other uh, books by my bedside uh, table. Do you
0: do you also read novels? Do You read books for fun? I mean, I, I know you love read poetry. novels. Uh? Yeah,
1: I I I positively love fiction. I think good fiction is is mystical in a lot of ways, you know, it, it transports you to another place. You know, my favorite book is Harry Potter. And every time I read it, I get transported to another place. (laughs) So I love a book that you can't put down. Mm -hmm. I just love that kind of book where you feel sad after it's over, you know, Mm. Um, where you slow down the last chapter for about seven days and read about a page a day, just to so it won't end. <laughs> I love my, those kind of My
0: books. book I'm reading for fun or fiction right now is um, "The Evening and the Morning" by Ken Follett, which um, ah. I've read now probably four or five books by Follett. I read the first yeah. trilogy: "Pillars of the mm-hmm. Earth," "World Without mm-hmm. End," "Columns of Fire." Yeah. That. Um, those books kind of fascinated me about the building of the English cathedrals, because as you know, I love Gothic architecture, and mm-hmm. I was fascinated by that. This book is set in the like I think it opens in 997, and uh, so it's it's a, it's a while ago. You know, Holly, I was doing some research about how to get into what we're going to talk about in two weeks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I think, you know, we're going to ask for people to enter into kind of an active imagination. And I think, I think it's set in a year, um, maybe the year 40, 45, But the problem is, is that the people who lived in that time that we refer to as 45, they didn't didn't count years that way. Mm -hmm. They didn't start doing that until sometime around the middle of the fifth or sixth, fifth century, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And um, so they counted years from the building of the city, which should have been Rome. Right. And they counted, of course, the Jewish calendar. Right. Um, But but I think most people didn't think about time the way we think about time. They didn't have those devices. They didn't have any of the stuff that we have.
1: Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I mean, there were different myths about how time even operated, you know, that there was a chariot pulling the sun through the sky.
0: (laughs) You mean Um, there's not?
1: Well, I think now it's a race car and not a chariot. Yeah. You know, we have engines now, so we've upgraded. (laughs) The days are shorter. They go by faster now.
0: (laughs) You know, Um, I want to, I want to share something with you and then we can talk about our experience of teaching. Um, mm -hmm. One of the ways that I get my news, I, I try to avoid, it's impossible to avoid what's on TV Yeah, you go out to, you know, I go to my gym to work out. The TVs are on. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. it's hard to avoid that. But one Mm -hmm. of the places I get my news is by watching Stephen Colbert. (laughs) Yeah, and Mm -hmm. that's how I learned about, in and of itself.
1: Oh. Really? yeah he Stephen was one of the Co- producers am i right wasn't he, Colbert he and his wife, and his wife
0: yeah. evie saw yeah. in and of itself on broadway there or wherever it was in new york they had to see it more right. than once and they liked it so much they decided it needed a wider audience so they put the money up to make a movie of it
1: yeah it's, That's where it's that came still from. Yeah. yeah it's such a magical production literally uh, but also figuratively yeah
0: i've now <laughs> yeah. seen it four times Oh, my gosh. Yes, we watched Mm -hmm. it again this past weekend. Stephen Mm -hmm. Colbert aired a recording of the first show that he did after the shutdown.
1: Uh.
0: And last night, we watched the first show that he did coming back in front of a live audience on Broadway.
1: Wow, was and that just recently? Did it it just was start? Monday
0: night, so I'm watching oh, it a wow. day behind because I don't stay uh-huh. up that late to watch it. And um, it was the same kind of exciting, giddy energy we had the first Sunday that we came back. It was yeah. opening night jitters, and I mean, everybody <laughs> was just crazy. And it's a we had the same kind of energy in ordinary life. People are just oh, thrilled. Yeah. Should kind of a like
1: trying not to bounce out of the seats a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree with you. And even though I, you know, I still find myself on this kind of threshold of how ready am I for this kind of return to the bigger world um, and being, as I've said before, habituated to a, a smaller world, uh, mm-hmm. a more intimate setting and, um, It it has been so lovely to see people. And I'll say this again, to hear laughter. Yeah. It's validation that we're funny sometimes. Sometimes. Um, (laughs) Or little gasps like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, those kinds of things that. And um, I will tell
0: people who are listening to this that you will not be here this Sunday. But. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Jim Bankston will be here speaking. And um actually Jim and I are gonna uh, gonna dialogue and I I, uh, I have told him ahead of time a couple of the questions I'm gonna ask him, but I'm gonna ask him questions he's not anticipating
1: for yeah. fun.
0: Yeah, you know like <laughs> And I'm stealing from both Stephen Colbert's questionnaire and from James Lipton's questionnaire like if heaven exists, what do you hope God will say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? I know that sort of thing. Anyway, the big reason that I'm invited, Jim, uh, is people in our constituency here in Houston, and this is not true for people who probably live in other states, may or may not be, but um, people who actually attend ordinary life in person and have some investment or history in St. Paul's are really concerned about what's going to happen to the denomination um, and to the church after this next general conference, which will be this coming year. And... I think we know that there's going to be a split in the denomination and that the majority of the churches in what's called the Texas Annual Conference, which is where St. Paul's is, they will be going to create a new denomination. I think it's going to be called the Wesleyan Evangelical Church. I'm not sure, but Hmm. Jim knows all about this and he can answer all the questions that people have about what is inevitably going to happen and um i don't know if you're aware of this or not but there was a front page story on the front page of the new york times this past sunday i think it was i mean it's this big story about what was happening to the southern baptist Hmm. southern Mm -hmm. baptist were meeting in nashville tennessee this week and there was a real push For a right-wing, radical right-wing element to take over the denomination, and they lost. Really. They lost. Well,
1: that's a relief.
0: That's good news, if ever there was any. I hope it's a harbinger of other things to come in our country, where people are falling for idiot beliefs. Um, Yeah. You know, I
1: just, I don't love to use, the, I, I I when you were talking about the United Methodist split and, you know, Southern Baptist and all of this, I just, I don't usually, I'm really sensitive to use of the word stupid, but that is such a stupid reason to split. It's just, it, it's just not stupid. sensical. Yeah. And I mean... I feel like these kind of you know last week I was reading I said something about God not being binary you know not in gender not in being not in form and that we've tried so hard to make our egoic filter be the definition of God like that binary need that the ego has I'm this not that um defeats the purpose, it seems. I mean, it does. It just feels so wrong that so many people have been harmed and excluded and left out or in denial of some central aspect of their self because of this, Mm
0: -hmm. you know? I mentioned to you that um, I have read an article in the most recent issue of a Buddhist journal that I take. The journal is called Buddha Dharma. It comes out four times a year, and it has Mm -hmm. really quite scholarly articles about spiritual, religious, social matters from a Buddhist perspective. And um, the article that I'm working my way through in that journal right now is one on deconstructing whiteness.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and uh it's really quite a scholarly heady read but i I, and when i'm done with it i want to copy it and get it to you so that we can have a shared conversation about it but one of the brilliant things that this writer says about first of all he says that that race is a socially constructed concept
1: yeah it is
0: (laughs) and it's whiteness is a really relatively recent socially constructed
1: concept? I would say it's a recently named construct. It's been in evolution, at least in this country, since early 1600s, right? Like it it was articulated, but it's a recently named. Yeah,
0: I think that what he says is that it was a construct that came into existence in the 16th century. Mm -hmm,
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And he describes the mental sociological processes by which this construction is made. And part of the construct is that the people who constructed the construct cannot see what they have constructed.
1: Right. Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: And, and, and I just think, wow, that's so helpful because, um, I think if people could acknowledge that, that one, it would increase our respect for awe and mystery. Oh, wow, yes. I don't really understand this. Yeah. And and um, so much of what we take as the truth is a socially constructed, quote, reality, end quote. It's a social- Absolutely.
1: I, I'm trying to find something as we're talking. Um, do you know who Tim Wise is? I've heard that He's, name. Um, Yeah, he's a, he's a really great writer. He, um, writes on, he's, he's an anti-racist writer. He's a white man writing from that perspective and deconstructing whiteness. And he had a, a post not too long ago, I think it was on Twitter, um, on, you know, the, on our sort of defensiveness around the idea of, um, of deconstructing whiteness, that challenging whiteness, and he goes on to say that you know he's he's also he takes a historical look um, at how it was constructed. The United States that whiteness in the United States was constructed basically to be anti-black and anti-indigenous, so that so that ownership could happen, land ownership and people ownership, mm-hmm. and that power could happen. And he, he kind of challenges notion of of if deconstructing whiteness is about deconstructing division, hatred, and hierarchy, Mm -hmm. why should that bother us? Of course we wanna deconstruct racism, division, and hierarchy, you know? And I I just think that's the sort of challenge that we meaning white folks face is, it's not our like identity or our, Having white skin is not a bad thing, you know? I mean, this is not, it's not a, it's not a challenge to our identity. It's a a challenge to the concept of what whiteness is, Mm -hmm. that whiteness has become something that upholds hierarchy and division.
0: I wanted to respond when you said that by saying whiteness is not a good thing either, but it is. Right. Right. It is. Yeah. I have a bad habit. And that bad habit is that I construct texts and never send.
1: Oh, Sometimes, did you just send me one?
0: <laughs> I just sent you one that I, I wrote it. yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I said that I've changed my mind about the title for two weeks from now. I think it ought to be pay attention to the nothing.
1: I love that. Um, that gets into so many spaces for me. Um, and part of it is what I just read to you at the beginning of this podcast. You know? Um, yeah.
0: And, 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 you know, the man, a man that I quote a fair amount is Dharamu Damiraku. And we've mm-hmm. been very high on his books. I probably read eight of his books. He's a very prolific writer, but yeah. he's very clear about if you, the fact that if you want to be on an authentic spiritual journey, one of the things you have to be constantly doing is deconstructing. Yeah, And, um, layer after layer after layer it seems because mm-hmm. we can be so sure that we know stuff that we don't know you know yeah so in, in it's talking, entering
1: into the dark right yeah. it's going it's saying the dark you know the, there's so much beautiful mystical writing about that Rumi's that you know that the crack is where the light gets in. Right. I mean, it's just, there's that being in the dark and not knowing being in the dark. And it's actually, as we have said, not nothing, it's everything, you know, it's endless possibility, but we're so terrified of not knowing. We're so terrified of insecurity, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just kind of how to be gentle with that fear. Um, Padre Gotuma writes about the fear of fear itself Mm -hmm. you know we 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 fear going into the cave because of the fear of fear itself
0: right yeah a a book that i used to recommend that's still in print although it's very old is called feel the fear and do it anyway
1: Mm, that and, sounds very like it was written by a counterphobic sex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> may have been. I, I a lot of people have really benefited from that book. But, mm. you know, in the process of getting ready to lead people in this active imagination that we want to do in a couple of weeks, I've been doing my research and doing doing my reading. What, what was the first gathering of Jesus' followers? What were the first gatherings like Before they were called Christian, they were just this group of people who gathered around the memory of this man that they loved and who had transformed their lives. And um, so I've been reading, going back and rereading some of Bart Ehrman's work. Bart Ehrman is um, quite a biblical New Testament Jesus scholar who's really worth knowing about. His blog is really worth uh, looking at he he's got the best take on what the early years of the movement was like and we've so idealized it and you know when I, I grew up thinking that Jesus went to Southern Baptist church just like me.
1: <laughs> I thought it was Methodist. I'm
0: kidding. <laughs> well you're wrong. It was Baptist <laughs> Anyway and and I really did because that's what I was Kind of led to believe and infer. And uh, prior to the fourth century, there was no uniformity about the so called Christian movement. There were Mm -hmm. all different shapes of what people believed. It wasn't about believing, even, it was about being connected with this community where people felt forgiven and loved and empowered encouraged accepted that's what uh, that's what the community was about some Mm -hmm. of them were jews who knew a lot about the hebrew story some of them were not yeah um
1: yeah i mean that's you know i mean i don't know that if we are to survive in any kind of meaningful way as a species there's no other option but to accept radical inclusion and the idea of unity and diversity right and i don't mean unity in terms of perfect peace utopia or harmony i just mean that everything belongs
0: right and 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 you know yeah. again amirku has a book about inclusive mm-hmm. and and he he begins by saying what else could the gospel of Jesus be about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? I mean, it couldn't I be about anything else, else but that yeah. that sense of radical inclusivity. So, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's giving anything away to say that, you know, when, um, when these followers of Jesus, after his execution, gathered,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they had their first creed that jesus is lord and not caesar Mm -hmm. then um, they began to get in trouble not because they worshipped the god of jesus that was okay but when they denied that caesar was god that's when they got in trouble Mm -hmm. and um It was out of that kind of milieu that some of them began to lose their lives.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But they wouldn't give up. And so we're, we're trying to see if we can create an active imagination about what that community was like when we were gathered one day, night, whenever it was, and we got word that our chief persecutor, a guy named Saul, had been struck Mm -hmm. blind.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, talking about blindness and sight, seeing and being seen, I think opens up a vast kind of drama, an internal drama of when in our lives have we felt blind, when in our lives have we felt seen or not seen? Mm
0: And Um, I hope we can add the layer on that Sunday that one of our number got up, left the meeting, went to the place where Saul was and called him brother.
1: Mm -hmm. So how did we feel about that guy? Right. There's, you know, I, I mentioned to you the other day, and I don't think this will come into the active imagination piece around Saul, but I, I was reminded of the, you know, the, the, of course the story of Judas who is, who betrayed Jesus, um, and led to the execution of Jesus. And the night before Jesus's execution, he kisses Judas and calls him friend. And that, requirement that Jesus is sort of laying forth is you're in me and I'm in you Mm -hmm. I could just as easily be you the betrayer as I am the betrayed and that recognition is that sort of whole making moment right I am you I am me I'm not you I'm not other than you you know
0: So I will try to find this before we do another one of these podcasts. There is somebody Mm -hmm. who created a story about, in the afterlife, Jesus sitting at the last supper table again, Mm. but refusing Mm. to eat. If you heard it, you've heard it.
1: Yeah. You've shared it with me and I yeah. but I want you to complete it. Keep yeah. going. Right. Yeah. And
0: Jesus is saying we can't start from Judas' is here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everything belongs. Yeah. And and this is the thing that our ego must wrestle with every day. <laughs> so that's I think where we're headed is just into this space of what does that really look like? And what does it look like to construct a world and even a small community where we truly believe and truly embody that everything belongs.
0: And everyone We're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there. yeah. We're far yeah. piece from there, I think. But yeah. I call on Joanna Macy's framework a lot. To say, you know, there are all these stories that are going on at once, and you just have to pick which one you want to live.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully, and, it's the one that's enlarging, right? I mean, just choosing an enlarged being, as you say frequently, you know, to, and one of the things that Catherine Keller writes about is that, um, is that element of choice, the choice that we make about becoming is what creates sin or separation or unification. Every choice we make leads us further down a path. Um, You know, we were mentioning kind of the the consciousness around the, the Jesus movement, but it's also about presence, just presence to the moment. And sometimes I think that as human beings, we are, so often concerned with the making meaning and the understanding and the and the becoming that we forget sometimes to just be here now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I, um, I was reading in uh, this other little book that I have by my bedside that Padre Otuomo wrote called in the shelter. And he mentions that, you know, in Papua New Guinea, small Island nation, there's something like 800 uh, languages spoken, different dialects of uh, tribal languages. And one way of, there is no word in one of the languages for hello. The greeting is just something like, you are here. Mm. And the response to that greeting is, I am here.
0: Wow, that's beautiful.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I was watching uh, my my dog last night, just lay splayed out on his back, leg up in the air, (laughs) you know how dogs are. And I just thought that's, that's it. You know, just that this sort of, you are here and there's nothing to do or be other than here. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, for somebody who didn't have anything to talk about today, we certainly managed to find something to talk about.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Lean into the spaces in between. There's some some things churning, so I'm excited to enter into the Saul-Paul story and I'm excited also to clue in as a listener this Sunday and listen to you and Jim. I'll be on the road with the boys.
0: <laughs> so um, I I got an um, email from somebody mm-hmm. this week that I have not heard from in two years. Oh, wow. And she said, I just wanted to thank you and Holly. I, I have been sustained through this by your podcast now when people say that i don't know whether they mean what we do on sunday or what we do here it doesn't matter either well one. they both
1: get downloaded to the podcast feed um so it's so all kind of both. in one place yeah <laughs> yeah well i'm so glad and i for sure can say the same this even just being in this space together has been sustaining for
0: me, too. So. so people who don't get a chance to come and physically see or hear us mm-hmm. are not aware of the fact that at least for the last two Sundays, we have stood on their life meets on the second floor of the Jones Building on the campus of St. Paul's. And we have stood at the head of the stairs welcoming <laughs> people as they come in. And it's felt so good to hug yeah. people and to be hugged and to see people and to have people say how much they have appreciated the electronic connection that yes. we've had over the past 450 plus days. That's yeah. how long.
1: And and that's here to stay, so <laughs>
0: Well, the, the, as far as we know, I read some scary yeah. stuff about the Delta variant and-
1: Yeah.
0: That, you know, I think yesterday the United States passed Over 600,000 deaths from COVID, and it's still happening. People are still getting infected. People are still dying from COVID, but we're still opening up.
1: Yeah. I think that's the kind of tension that I find myself in right now is kind of how, yeah, how ready are we? But.
0: (sighs) Well, I want people, if they do decide to come in person Mm -hmm. to Ordinary Life to do whatever they need to do to feel safe. Yeah. And to absolutely be protected so absolutely. where are you going on your road trip or is that a secret oh
1: uh, we're taking um a kind of civil rights tour of parts of the south we're going we'll, we'll stop in new orleans um, listen to some jazz see my mother-in-law the the boy's grandma um who we haven't seen this whole time mm-hmm. but and then we'll move on to Montgomery, Alabama, where EJI is, where Brian Stevenson's project mm-hmm. and the Peace and Justice Memorial there. Then to Atlanta, where the Martin Luther King Memorial and museum and park is. And then to Tennessee um, and part Memphis, we've been to the MLK uh, Memorial there, but my sister and my nieces live near Nashville. So we'll get to see them also. And then, so we're kind of making a gentle loop back to houston (laughs) um yeah but it'll be good just about eight days so if
0: at the brian stevenson uh thing they have a Mm t-shirt get me one i wear extra large
1: okay got it (laughs) we will they do have t-shirts and they're wonderful so well
0: i'm i'm gonna miss you sunday um but it, it will be YouTube. such a
1: rich and wonderful time with Jim, I'm oh, sure.
0: Oh, so, yeah. I love yeah. Jim. Okay.
1: Okay. Have us a good, Talk safe
0: trip, and I'll see you back here next week.
1: Sounds good. Bye-bye.